The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. We like to think in Australia that we are the biggest and the best when it comes to gold. However, it wasn't that long ago that South Africa reigned supreme. And the baby boomers amongst you may remember back to the 70s when the country produced 30 million ounces in 1970, more than the rest of the world combined in that year. And it all came out of one area, the mighty Witzvortesrand Goldfields, which is a veritable reef of gold. It's about 80k in length, but it's part of, um, or actually part of it is located directly beneath the capital of South Africa, Johannesburg. And I think the residents of Kalgoorlie Boulder in Australia would sympathise with the dilemma as they, they've got the super pit humming away at their back door. Now, while many of us know a lot about the history of gold in Australia, perhaps not so many of us know much about the history and the future of gold in South Africa and why it's so prolific. Stay with me. There is a point to this background. If you rewind about 2.7 billion years, you can track the history of gold mineralization in the Witzvortesrand Basin and the volcanic activity that eventually formed one of the world's first sedimentary basins with alluvial rich water flowing from higher terrain, carrying and depositing the ore into what was then an inland sea. In fact, we could spend stock insiders explaining the how, and it really is interesting, trust me. However, what we are going to do today is introduce you to a miner on the ASX that is poised to reignite the passion for gold in the Witzvorters round after a few decades of neglect. Shovel ready would be an understatement. And Jared, I don't think you'll ever meet quite as passionate and proud a chairman of the board as our guest on the show today. Pull up the map of the world, put a pin at the bottom of Africa. I'm Christina Morrissey, and you're listening to Stock Insiders. And today we're exploring what could be the next big gold mine in South Africa and the target of West Wits Mining. Welcome, Michael Quinnert. Hello. Hello, Christina. Thanks for having me. That's all right. I got off the phone with you the other day, and I just had a sense of how genuinely excited you are about what's unfolding for West Wits in South Africa. And that prompted me to do a little more digging myself. And I'm really excited to be sharing your company story on Stock Insiders today. I'm very impressed with your introduction and your overview of the geology and the history of the famous Witzwatersrand Basin, because um, I think it's an underappreciated story. And it, just to add one uh, fact there, which I find fascinating with the area, is that whilst a lot of people in the modern era don't seem to know much about its history, it's actually produced about 25 to 30% of the world's known gold. It's had a one field sitting south of Johannesburg. So when you put that in context, there's a lot to be excited about, I think. Yeah, and you are the leader now of what is a very talented gold mining team. However, you're not actually a geo or an engineer. So how did you end up in South Africa? And what do you bring to Westwitz besides being the person in charge? Well, it's an interesting journey. I won't bore with too much detail, but basically my background is in corporate law and capital raising. Um, started out in that sort of field in the 1980s at the ASX. Uh, ended up working for a lot of uh, small cap mining companies, which eventually saw me uh, gravitate into um, uh, into being a director on various companies. And then, of course, uh, looking further afield for other projects, ended up in, in Africa uh, in about 2003, 4, 5 with various companies and started this company in 2000, end of 2007, start of 2008. And in South Africa, you headed to South Africa? Yes, yes, with South Africa. There was some, a lot of deals on at that stage and um, that's what got me introduced to the area. And um, this company was a spin-off of some other 
assets that the companies had there. So they've been uh, working away there for some time, successfully developed one asset there and sold that in 2012 and came back to this asset in around 2016 to start work on this project. Do you know, I think the fact that Westwitz is an Aussie company digging up gold in the Fortis Rounds gold fields is really interesting because when you look at it, the first gold that was discovered there was by a fellow and some of some of the people will raise an eyebrow. His name was George Harrison. He wasn't one of the Fab Four. He was actually an Aussie prospector who famously found gold within the city of Johannesburg back in 1886. And here you are, an Aussie looking to spark your own rush of interest in South African gold. But it, it almost didn't happen, did it? You mentioned the first one the first success story, and then you're back to the second one, and it wasn't exactly A to B. No, it wasn't. We, we sort of um, – the GFC hit the company early on, and we looked for shallow, easy-to-access gold, which we found in a, a project we had further to the west, not far away, about 20 kilometres away. So we developed that and drilled that out and sold that to another company, and we actually then took up a project in Indonesia – which took our attention for about four or five years before we basically abandoned that and came back to this project, which was we were making a decision whether or not the the, the prospecting right would expire or extend, and we decided to extend it once we got into it. And the secret to that was we really got in touch with a lot of people there that had worked on the project in when it when it closed in 2000, the original mine. This is a new part of a whole new ore body, but uh, they had a, a wealth of experience and information on the area, and that really piqued our interest and, and, and sort of revved us up to get going on it. So we've been working you know, very hard in the last six or seven years to get this into production. Yeah, and be- between those people that you got in contact with, you also had a lot of data at your fingertips, didn't you? Uh, and that area has a really good pedigree. Tell us about it. How many ounces? What's the history there? Yeah, yeah th- this is um, incredible. This area where we're mining in, it's, it's a footprint we're now sitting on of about 3,000 hectares, um, which we've reduced slightly. But the original footprint, if you look at the history, there's, there's 120 years of history of mining on the area. And it's produced, this particular mining area where we are, has produced in excess of 41 million ounces of gold. You know, it's a staggering amount of gold. Um, th- there's a lot left uh, that they, re- they mine it in in. in uh, stacked reefs and these reefs haven't been touched because they were thought to be too low a grade in the old days but they're still running at four 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 and a half sometimes five grams a ton and you know when you look at what they were mining they were mining at, at, at 10 to 15 to 20 grams a ton so th- there's a lot of information we literally have thousands of maps and drawings and, and historical records which enabled us to really have a head start in putting together what we think is a very robust and strong um, Jork resource now of, of 4.28 million ounces, grading at over four and a half uh, grams a ton, um, which is by anyone's measure is good. And, you know, we think there's a lot more gold to put onto that chalk table as well, which we're working on at the moment. Uh, did you drill any holes of your own to add to that data? Some drilling, but, you know, we did some drilling, particularly in the early days. Um, but really, once we understood the structure and the, and, and the local knowledge and all the records that were there, the drilling became more like infill and confirming drilling rather than actually exploration drilling. I think what's interesting is that a lot of people will tell you as a potential investor that one of the challenges for gold miners in South Africa is how deep it is, and that's that's been a bit off-putting for investors, even as machinery and methods get better and better. Those extra costs associated with mining at depth not an issue for you. No, and I mean it is. It's a reasonable perception for people to have because of the wits has been mined for so long that, and these reefs are just open at depth. They just continue. So you know, I think South Deeps are at three and a half thousand meters. So that, you know, they keep. So the South Africans in the current sort of modern age are, are thought of as deep miners because they're still mining, mining the same reefs they've been mining for 120 years. 
What we've done, though, is there's a, there's a reef band on our property called the Kimberley Reefs. It's been mined elsewhere. It hasn't been mined on our lease, and that's the backbone of our project. So the Kimberley Reefs, we're starting at surface. You know, we've opened a decline. We're sitting on ore at the moment at 100 metres depth, and so we'll be mining for the first, at least the first 15 to 17 years of this project, which is covered by the definitive feasibility study we released. You know, we'll be mining... Um, from surface effectively down over 17 years eventually we'll get to about 800 metres so even in 17 years we'll be at 800 metres we won't be at anything like the depths that uh, that people are, sorry, associate South African mining with. So what sort of costs have been involved with setting up the mine and production? Well, so far you know over a period, fair period of time we, we've invested you know about 25 million into the project Aussie um, and our um, DFS says we need uh, at the moment another um the, the official DFS is saying we need 63 million uh, US peak funding to put the mine into production of steady state 55,000 ounces a year at, at a steady state cost un, comfortably under $1,000 uh, an ounce. Um, but the reality is at the moment with the way the exchange rates have moved uh, and the way the gold price and, uh, has moved as well as our increasing, ever increasing knowledge of, of, the, of the structures of the geology and the planning because we're actually underground measuring and doing surveys at the moment. Um, you know, that cost will come down substantially and that's why we've commissioned a new updated definitive feasibility study which should actually be ready in the next two to three weeks if not earlier. You've got um, production mill, trucking, everything set up, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the keys to the project was and, and actually what delayed us last year in starting was that um, we elected to to undertake a toll treating model uh, in the initial phases at least of this project because there's substantial available excess capacity of, of mills and plants in the area. Uh, you know, obviously, with the historical um, production levels that South Africa uh, is known for, there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of mining equipment, there's lots of mining professionals, there's lots of mining plant and equipment around. So we've actually consummated a toll treat agreement with a major operator there, uh, Sabania Stillwater, uh, to, to, to treat the ore at their Ezelwini plant, uh, which is slightly north uh, of our Project. So that's actually meant that we're not actually up for the capex of a plant, which would have been substantial, which is what, why our numbers are sort of so attractive in terms of the, the capital requirements. Well, what sort of paperwork has been involved with a mine like this? Well, there's lots, you know, South Africa has a, a pretty sort of robust um, regulatory framework. So there's been um, a lot of work done in getting all the necessary approvals. I can say categorically that we have all the approvals in place. We have the mining right, we have environmental authorizations, we have water use licenses, we even have um, permits now uh, obtained for using explosives and various other factors. So, you know, we're ready and permitted to go and that was a long process and, and a process that, that had to be done and it's pretty much similar to what you do in Australia, to be, to be honest about it. I, remember, I think I remember reading back through the documents too, you had one, one announcement, one bit of permitting that sent everyone into a little gold rush of their own, didn't it? That was the mining right, yeah, when the mining right was granted in, in, in middle of 2021 after a long delay through the delays of COVID, you know, there was a lot of excitement around the stock and Obviously, it ran a lot, but there was, you know, obviously there were still other things to do, and, and and things have been a bit slower from then than we had, had hoped because of the um, delays in, um, in in effect. The toll treating agreement held us up last year, as I indicated, for some time. But now we're ready to go, and you know, we really want the market to understand this project is shovel ready, as you said. I mean, it's not many people that can say that within. Um, we, we're in the final stages of trying to negotiate our, our funding, our project funding, and um, you know. 
this project will be producing ore in six weeks, you know, from that. The, well, the, that is the one. You just mentioned the funding, that, that one part of the jigsaw that's yet to be placed. And from what I understand, you've got a number of eligible pieces, potential pieces to complete the picture. Tell us about the finance discussions that you're in the midst of, you, you, what you can anyway. I can't, yeah. We, obviously, the, a lot of them are subject to confidentiality, but we, we're talking to a range of people. And obviously, the, the prize we're looking for is if we can get sort of um, the cheaper debt funding and, and, and the maximum of that rather than um, sort of relying entirely on streaming or royalty type payments. And so we're talking to a range of people um, or, that cover those, um, that cover all those sources. Uh, I think we're, we're making really good progress and, and it's very hard for people to see because it's like the old duck work, working with the, the paddling under the water, you don't see it, but we are making good progress. And I think that... Um, you know, all things being equal, we should be able to move forward fairly soon on that and, and give people an idea of what we're doing. Part of the process is also trying to, as I said, you know, segment and prioritise which ones we want to pursue. Um, and, you know, it'd be easy to go out and get the easiest funding, but that may dilute the asset through a streaming deal. So we're trying to get the best uh, deal we can for the shareholders and the company. Yeah. So once you've got that final little piece of the puzzle, you're saying six weeks? Yeah. Because we opened up the decline and refurbished, did a lot of work last year. There's a picture we put on our website. People can see the sites established, all the change rooms, all the all the office works, all the um, potable water supply, diesel generators, everything's in place. Um, and so, you know, we really, and we've opened up, as I mentioned, down to 100 metres and we're on ore development. So we're actually producing, as soon as we start again, we'll be producing ore. We've, we estimate it'll take a, a mobilisation period of four to six weeks to get ore being produced. But, you know, after that, there's not many mines, I think, that can say from, from the date we obtain the project funding, we'll be in production, at, you know, at the latest in six weeks. Uh, we then intend to stockpile for a period of about five months to build up to a stockpile of about 30,000 tonnes so that we can provide a consistent um, supply to the plant. But that means, you know, um, if things all go well, towards the end of this year, we should be um, producing revenue. How about beyond that? I know you've got a few desktop models you're discussing. Anything that you can share at this point? Yeah, we've indicated to the market, we don't, you know, it's, it's a really strong and robust uh, resource, well understood and extensive. And, and you know, mining it at 55,000 ounces a year is only scratching the surface. So we've been looking seriously at what options there are to upgrade and accelerate the exploitation of the resource. We call that Project 200 because our initial studies as verified by independent mining engineers indicate that there is the capacity to take this up to 200,000 ounces a year, which is a massive increase. Um, we think that would probably require the construction of our own plant and there'll be some deposition issues which we're resolving and we've already had meetings with the authorities about that. So, you know, we, we believe that's the, once we get mining, that will be, we'll focus really on, on the plans and studies to get the project 200 to a reality. And I think it's realistic to think that in the next three to four years, we could actually deliver that. That's something else we should touch on. And we do have time, the challenges of mining in South Africa, because it's an interesting place to be and beautiful, but there are challenges. How have you addressed them? Yeah, I mean, there are challenges. A lot of the challenges we face are more perception than reality, but that's understandable given some of the press that comes out of South Africa. I think, you know, if I look at it in two divisions, on the mining side, it's, it's, it's not a challenge. I mean, on the mining side, there's enormous amount of expertise, equipment, um, and, and educational facilities there to support mining. I mean, in fact, I think most people, if they're honest and go through and look at all the mining projects in Africa, West Africa, East Africa, now where Australians are investing. I mean, if you look at all those projects and you go through them, you'll find South Africans generally at the centre side and middle and top and bottom of them. And they, they, they support the entire 
with a large factor in supporting the entire African mining industry. So on the mining side, I think the operational side, I think it's a very good jurisdiction to work in given the availability. I mean, we're working in the middle of Johannesburg where our equipment supply is 20 minutes away. Our, our, our mine work is only coming from five minutes away. We don't have to build camps. We don't have to support them. You know, we're on mains water. <laughs> we've got mains power, even though the power goes on and off sometimes, we've got mains power, which we supplement with diesels and, and eventually with renewables. So on the, on the operational side, I think people need to sort of step back and look at the data, look at the objective facts, and it's a very strong mining jurisdiction with a lot to go, going for it. Um, on the political side, I think that's where people get the perception from, and I think we've got to look at it also in a balanced way in that, you know, I'm not a political scientist, but, you know, there's obviously one party been dominating there, the ANC, for some time, and, you know, when you've got one party in a democratic system dominating um, imagine if we had the Labor Party here or the Liberal Party for 20 or 30 years with no one challenging them. I mean, they'd probably run off the rails a bit. And that tends to happen when people have a bit of power and no one's um, balancing and checking that. In South Africa, I think the opposition parties are emerging. There's a lot of evidence showing that. And, and But also, um, I think that the, in, if you look at it more broadly and the, the pillars of democracy, I mean, South Africa have a very strong judicial system. Only last year, you know, the courts there... Uh, convicted the former president of, of various, uh, you know, crimes. And, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, I can't see that happening in Russia or, or China or somewhere that, that, you know, the guy who's the ex, is still the ex-head of the, the still ruling party has been convicted. Um, also, I think, you know, so that's a good test and a proof of how, how strong the court system is. That's been my experience with it as well. Um, also, I think people need to um, appreciate there's a very strong independent press in, in South Africa that keep that hold the government to account. And while the opposition parties are growing and getting themselves organised, the press are doing a magnificent job there in sort of exposing things. I reckon you've given me four really good strengths of South Africa as a location to operate in. So you've, you've covered off on the next thing that I was going to ask you. But just around your own mindset, where you are there locally, how are you integrating with the, the local community there? We, we, look, the, the local community are great. They provide our labour, but there's also, you know, the, you, you need to have a good, strong relationship with your community. And we have a one of the key people in our um, organisation is Tazama Sawili, who's our, who's our community liaison officer. She oversees our social labour plan. She engages with our local people. She has regular meetings with the, everyone from the, the council, uh, ward councillors to the local community leaders to even people operating, if you like, on the fringes of society, if I put it that way. Uh, and, and basically, she, you know, we take a very um, uh, interactive, engaging uh, approach, which is, is Tazama's recommendation. It seems to be working quite well for us. We don't... Um, have our security carry guns. Um, you know, we have a good relationship with the local police as well. If they're needed, we, we will call them in. But at the moment, that seems to be working. But it's a proactive, ongoing thing. It's not something you can leave and set and forget. It's an ongoing program. We have social labour plans. We support local education communities and we've supported soup kitchens, various things to make sure that we're seen as a valuable contributing member of the community. The other thing I'd just like to go back to and say about South Africa, Christina, is you know, one thing that people forget too is that, you know, you've got to go where the gold is, don't you? And I mean, there's lots of gold here. So you can, we can, we can focus on some of the issues and problems in extracting it sometimes. But we, can, we can't lose sight of the fact that you must go where the good projects and the good gold is because you can have a marginal project in a bad jurisdiction. I prefer to have a, a project that's got lots of gold and, and a good, you know, robust resource in, in jurisdiction where you've got to deal with a few issues. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting when you hear people talk about this area that you're mining in, there is a real sense of fondness and, and nostalgia. 
it really has been ignored. When I was going through and just saying, "Why, well, you know, why haven't people been in there?" and you've you've addressed the the issues that that you are addressing, I suppose. Um, I guess now that you know what you do know about this particular project, do you wish you'd gone in earlier? Oh, sure. Yeah, I do. I do. I really do. I mean, you, you operate depending on the times and the – I mean, you know, originally Westwich sees itself, saw itself as a – or I saw it as an exploration company and most exploration companies never never progress, you know, to being a producer. When I really started to get my teeth into this project, I thought, hey, heck, we can actually become a producer here. This is really a mine and this is something that – I mean, whilst there are challenges, um, the, the logistical challenges weren't as, as great as, say, something in the outback of, of West Australia or, you know, it, it really was – all of it was sitting there ready to be opened up. And so, to me, I got very excited about it and started – and that's why I'm passionate about the project. I really think this can transition the company into a solid producer for the next two decades. It, it'll see me out, I think, this project. I like that. Yeah, there's, and you there's, go – we like the sound of that for you, Michael. And gold <laughs> prices have changed as well, I suppose. They have, and they're moving up. I and mean, we can't, you know, we're not there to provide advice on the gold price, I suppose. But, you know, certainly at the current gold prices, this project looks really attractive, and which is why we're updating the DFS. And, you know, if people, the general consensus is right that the world with its debt crisis and that will start looking at gold seriously as a safe haven again at some point, then if that happens, this will, t- you know, this will really take off. It, it, it's got, uh, it's strong as it is, very strong as it is. I mean, with, with, with our steady state production at under a thousand uh, oil and sustained cost, I mean, there's a lot of margin here. We're going to watch with interest. Uh, some may be doing more research, Michael Quinnett, as we sign off from this edition of Stock Insiders. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Christina. West Wits Mining. It'll be interesting to see what the next bit of a news from um, them will contain for investors and potential in and potential investors like yourselves. I'm Christina Morrissey. We've been exploring the latest investment potential to come out of South Africa's legendary Witswaters Round Goldfields. Ready to press go. Or all infrastructure and permits in place and actively moving on increasing the ounces coming out of their mine once they are up and running. You've been listening to Stock Insiders. What's the next opportunity? You're going to have to click on the link. 